0: Good evening. It is a pleasure for me to be here in New Jersey this Christmas Eve. And thank you to Pastor Samuel John for the invite. One of the features of marketing is appropriate advertising. So there are companies that study the online searches, use that information to create advertisements so that you will buy the thing that you're looking for. For example, in the Caucasian West, you would think that sunscreen is something that is searched for throughout the summer. But that is not true. What is true is that the major search in the beginning of summer is for suntan. And once people get burnt towards the end of summer, that's when they start searching for sunscreen lotions. And so when companies advertise their products. They advertise suntan at the beginning of summer and sunscreen at the end of summer. In terms of advertising, the American system does not advertise anything with American football in springtime because American football is in fall. And they don't advertise about tax software in fall because that is a little after winter. Similarly, the general advertising theme in December is that of gift giving. And every company and every ad tries to convince you that their product is the best product to buy and the best product for a gift for anybody, whether it is a car that is wrapped in gift wrapping with a bow on top or a nail cutter every company wants to show you that their product is the best gift that you can ever give this evening we're going to look at a gift and see what makes a best gift what is it that makes a best gift in a sermon entitled the return gift and this evening i'm going to look at two verses up front the first verse is in matthew chapter 2 and verse 11 and the second verse is 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15. Matthew 2 verse 11, After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Second Corinthians 9 and verse 15, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This evening, I want to look at some of the features of what makes a gift a great gift. And as we look at that, we will look at a gift that God gave us and learn why it is the best gift of all. I've got this evening five features of what makes a great gift. And the first feature of a great gift is that it is well-planned. A great gift is a well-planned gift. In the past, I used to think, that gift cards were not a great idea, but now I love gift cards. In fact, one of the best gifts that I could ever get is an Amazon gift card because I can buy whatever I want. But in general, the best gift is a well-planned gift. You know, there is a difference if you got a Christmas card or a birthday card from somebody who went to the store, bought you a card wrote your name on it, wrote their name on it, put a stamp on it and posted it to your house and it came to your house and you open it and you're able to read it. There's a difference in that card versus a digital card that somebody sends to you with three clicks, which is filled with stars and cartoons and your happy birthday and your name blinking in lights. Because one is a planned gift, the other is an unplanned gift. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Today is Christmas Eve, and if you're thinking of buying somebody a gift for Christmas, it is way too late. If you wanted to plan for next year's Christmas, I guess it is early to start planning for next year's Christmas. But when God planned a gift for us, it was well before a year ahead of time. It was before the foundation of the world. Almost an eternity in the past was when he started planning for his gift for us. So first feature of a great gift is that it is well planned. The second feature of a great gift is that it is useful or necessary. Philippians Chapter 4 and verse 16 says, For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So Paul received a gift that fulfilled the need that he had. You want to give somebody a gift that they will use or it is necessary for them. Because you don't really want to give a gift that people recycle. About 13 years ago, I got married to my wife and When I got married, I was in India, and I came to the U.S. shortly after that. But before I came to the U.S., I gave my brother-in-law five CDs as gifts. And I didn't know what kind of music he listened to. I listened to a particular kind of music, a variety of music, and I bought some really good CDs, I thought, of music that I liked, and I gave it to him. As a gift. And this is before I got here to the US. And about eight months after I came here, I just went down to the basement of their house. I was just milling around and I stumbled upon these five CDs covered with dust, tucked away behind some other equipment. I think one CD was open, the other four were not even open. And I did something that God never does with his gifts I took it back because I had given him a gift that he was not going to use and was not necessary for him and so therefore he never even opened it I don't think he even realized that I took it away So I made myself some gift-giving rules which I'm going to share with you. One rule of gift-giving is that you should never take away a gift if you will be found out. In this case, I was not found out. I don't think till today that he knows I took away the gift unless he hears this sermon. A second rule of gift-giving is you should never re-gift a gift if you will be found out. If you give a gift that is not useful to people or not necessary for people the chances are high that they will either junk it or they will recycle it but you should never re-gift a gift if you will be found out and sometimes somebody gets a gift and they put it in the basement for about six months and you're not going to use it it's not necessary for you and some other birthday comes along or a a season comes along and you re-gift that gift away to somebody else. My strong suggestion if you do that is that you don't get found out and that you do it sooner than later because if you forget who gave you that gift and you accidentally gave it to the person who gave it to you, that would not look good at all. The third rule that I made for myself is that you should never return gift a gift. You should never return gift or gift if you would be found out. And I made up this term, a return gift. A return gift is a gift that you give because you got a gift. It's fine if you won't be found out, but if you will be found out, then again, that is not a great gift. So an example of a return gift would be if somebody gave you a Christmas card And you forgot about that person until you got the Christmas card. And then you send them a New Year card in response as a return gift. That is a return gift. A great gift is a gift that is useful and necessary. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the gift that God gives is salvation and eternal life, both of which are useful and necessary, and I dare say that without it, we cannot survive into the future. So the gift that God gives us is useful and necessary. The third feature of a great gift is that it is unaffordable. An okay gift is something that you would buy anyway. If you would buy a shirt or a tie or a pant or socks or whatever, if you were going to buy it anyway and somebody gifts it to you, that is an okay gift. But the best gift is something that you could never afford or impossible to get. And therefore, you would never have it unless somebody gifted it to you. 25-year-old Michigan native Stan Larkin was like any other 25-year-old except that he always carried a bag around. He suffered from a condition called familial cardiomyopathy with a subtype called arrhythmogenic dysplasia that caused both sides of his heart to fail. So doctors told him that he needed his heart removed and to survive he needed a heart transplant. But there were 4,000 people on the waiting list to get a heart transplant. So he had to wait his turn and for the appropriate donor. And while he was waiting his turn, he had an artificial heart in his backpack with tubes that went into his body that kept him alive. And he wore this bag. He wore his heart literally on his back for 555 days, almost 17 months. And in June 2016, he finally got a donor whose heart would match his body, and he received a heart transplant. It was a gift that he could not afford because it's not like he had a couple hearts sitting around that he could use. It had to be a gift. There was no other way of him getting a heart. Ephesians chapter 36 and verse 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A new heart that God gives so that we can seek him and the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus is an unaffordable gift. We would not get it on our own if it were not gifted to us. The fourth feature of a great gift is that it is a reflection of relationship. A great gift reflects the relationship between the giver and and the recipient of the gift. We all live in a world with many different relationships. So there's parent-child relationship, there is husband-wife relationship, there is employer-employee, there is friend relationship, there is church member relationship. There are all different kinds of relationships, but the gift that you give in whatever relationship should accurately reflect that relationship. An ideal gift maintains that level of relationship. So gifts within the family are different than gifts between co-workers. So imagine if you went to work and your co-worker from across the room surprised you with a trip for two for the two of you to the Bahamas. That would be weird. Or imagine you came home and your mother gives you a couple scented candles for your birthday. That would be weird. So a gift should reflect the relationship or a future relationship. The gift that God gives us is an expression of his relationship or his future relationship with humans. It is an expression of his love. So in John chapter 3 verse 16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The word so in that verse is so very important because it shows the depth of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. The love of God was so much that it resulted in him giving a gift that matched his love. It matched the relationship that God wanted to have with humans. So in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, it says, For he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? The biggest thing that God could have given was the life of his son. And if he gave that, there is nothing in all the universe that God would withhold from us or do for us. The fifth feature of a great gift is that the gift is sacrificial. By definition, a gift is a gift. And therefore it is not for purchase because it is a gift. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 20, it says, But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You cannot purchase a gift. A gift is a gift, and it needs to be given freely. It is free for the recipient. A gift is always free for the recipient. But that doesn't mean the gift is cheap. A gift that costs something to the giver is worth more than a gift that costs nothing to the giver. That is why a well-planned gift is a valuable gift because it costs time and effort to plan the gift. In Luke chapter 21, there's a story of Jesus watching people come into the temple in Jerusalem and put money into the treasury. And he sees these rich people come in and put loads of money into the treasury. And then he also saw a poor widow come in and put two copper coins. And he turns to his disciples and says that that woman put in more than all the others. Why? Because she had put in all that she had. And because a sacrifice that she made in making a gift was more than the sacrifice that the others made in making a gift. Because the best gift involves sacrifice. Let me tell you a story that happened very close to where we stand right now. Rick Rescola was a 62-year-old head of security at the Morgan Stanley Bank. Pastor Samuel John here worked in the same company on 911, but was in a different building. So Rick Rescorla developed an evacuation plan for the bank whose offices were situated high in the South Tower at the World Trade Center. He was convinced for some reason that jet planes would hit the tower and try to destroy the World Trade Center. So he had an evacuation plan, and the evacuation plan and its preparation were hugely unpopular with the Morgan Stanley staff, many of whom thought Rick Rescorla was mad. But on September 11, 2001, American Airlines Flight 11 hit the World Trade Center Tower 1 at 8.46 a.m. Rick Rescorla ignored building officials' commands to stay put, and he began the orderly evacuation of Morgan Stanley's 2,800 employees on 28 floors of the World Trade Center Tower 2 and 1,000 employees on World Trade Center Tower 5. He reminded everyone to be proud to be an American and he told them everybody will be talking about you tomorrow. He sang God Bless America and other songs on his bullhorn to help evacuees stay calm as they left the building. By the time United Airlines Flight 175 hit World Trade Center Tower 2 at 9.07 a.m., less than a mere 20 minutes later, Rescorla had most of Morgan Stanley's 2,800 employees as well as people working on other floors of the Tower 2 safely out of the buildings. Only six of the 2,800 employees of Morgan Stanley were killed that day. Rick Rascorla returned to the building to rescue others still inside. He was last seen on the 10th floor of Tower 2 when it collapsed. His remains was never found. The only way that Jesus could give us the gift of salvation and of eternal life Was through the sacrifice of his own self. There was no other way. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him. Should not perish. But have eternal life. So on that Christmas day. More than 2000 years ago. God gave us the ultimate gift. It was well-planned, it was useful and necessary, it was unaffordable, it was a reflection of his relationship and his love for us, and it was sacrificial. In return, God wants us to give him gifts. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 3, it says, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. God wanted the high priest of those days to offer gifts and sacrifices, so God wants us to offer gifts to him. The gift that we give to God will always be a return gift. It will always be a return gift. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us first. And our love for him will always be a return love. He gave the gift first. So our gift for him will always be a return gift. And what does he want from us? What gift does God want from us? He wants a similar gift To the one he gave us. And what did he give us? Everything. And so in return from us. He wants everything. Everything. 100%. Sometimes we think. Well I'll give 10% of my money to God. And we have this false idea. That the remaining 90% we can do whatever we want with it. That's not true. God wants 100% of our money. Sometimes we think that I can plan whatever I want with my life and then every week I just add a couple more hours for God and that kind of legitimizes the rest of my life. That's not true. God wants 100% of your life. He wants every dime of your money. He wants every minute of your life. He wants every dream you have, every passion you have, every ambition you have, everything about you, he wants. God will not accept anything less. Is there anything in your life that is not directly under the control of the lordship of Jesus Christ? It's like the little boy who had the five loaves and two fish and gave them up to Jesus, and Jesus used it and multiplied it to feed 10,000 people. But sometimes we are that like, like that little boy, but instead of giving the five loaves and the two fish in its entirety, we kind of hold back on half a loaf and hold back on half a fish for our own selves. But the thing is that when we do that, we have not gotten the full blessing out of our lives. I promise every young person here, if you give your life completely, 100% to God, when you are old and you look back, you will be so glad for that decision. In fact, the only thing that will make you regret is that you didn't give more of your life to God. Because when we give our lives to God, he is able to abundantly bless it and use it in a way that is far beyond human imagination. The more we try to make something out of our own lives, the more we fail at it. But the more we submit our lives completely to him, the more beautiful and complete he makes it. Chris Tomlin, in his song, Love Ran Red, wrote these words. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. There's a place where sin and shame are powerless, where my heart has peace with God and forgiveness. And the place is at the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life, I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe all to you. Here my hope is found, here on holy ground, here arms open wide, here you save my life, here I bow down, here I bow down. Let me end with the story. Telemachus was a monk who lived in the 4th century. He felt God saying to him, go to Rome. He was living in a cloistered monastery, and so he had very few possessions. He took his few possessions, put it in a sack, and walked to Rome. And when he went to Rome, he found that the city was bustling. And he asked somebody what all the excitement was about, and he was told that this was a day when the gladiators would be fighting and killing each other in the Colosseum. It was the day of the games, the circus. He thought to himself, four centuries after Christ, and they are still killing each other for enjoyment? He ran to the Colosseum and heard the gladiators saying, Hail to Caesar, we die for Caesar. And he thought, this isn't right. He jumped over the railing and went out to the middle of the field, got in between the two gladiators, and began to say, In the name of Christ forbear, in the name of Christ forbear. The crowd protested and began to shout, Run him through, run him through. A gladiator came over and hit him in the stomach with the back of his sword, which sent him sprawling to the sand. He got back up again and ran and said to them again, In the name of Christ forbear, in the name of Christ forbear. The crowd continued to chant, Run him through, run him through. Finally, one gladiator came over and plunged his sword into the stomach of Telemachus. And as his blood stained the dusty ground crimson, he gasped one last time in the name of Christ. forbear. A hush came over the Colosseum. Soon one person got up and left. Soon another person got up and left. Soon 80,000 people got up and left the Colosseum. Ladies and gentlemen, it was the last gladiatorial fight in the history of Rome. It just takes one person. God just needs one person. God just needs one person to be completely committed to him. This Christmas, my prayer is that even though we may give gifts to humans, that we will give the appropriate return gift to God. Merry Christmas and thank you.